From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, she makes it easy and helps keep more money in your wallet. This is For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Haq. It has been a wild week when it comes to personal finance. Normally in December, things start to really taper off. There's not that much news. You know, as a journalist, we're kind of looking for stories outside of the regular holiday spending budget kind of stories to talk about. But interest rates have dominated the headlines for the last eight or nine months. And for obvious reasons, the Bank of Canada has been raising rates aggressively since the spring to deal with what they call runaway inflation. So inflation's been ticking at a 40-year high. I don't need to be the one to tell you when you go to the grocery store, when you pump gas in your car, how expensive it is. Inflation is still at 6.9% year over year. Yes, it's down from its high of 8.1%. That means we're paying that much more for the same basket of goods year over year. But if you really look at the numbers, the higher interest rates have done very little to actually bring inflation down. The only reason in the inflation numbers coming down is because gas prices have come down. And gas prices have come down for a number of different reasons, uh, more geopolitical reasons rather than interest rates going up and people driving less. That's not what that's not what's happening. So they're raising interest rates, the Bank of Canada, to deal with inflation. The cost of living continues to remain high um, at, uh, you know, for example, grocery costs are above 10% year over year. They're saying the average holiday meal, so your Christmas dinner is going to cost you 40% more this year than it did last. And for many of us, we haven't even gotten together with our friends and family for the last three Christmases. So it feels like all of a sudden we're getting together with everybody again. So we're planning for a bigger meal, a bigger production, and it feels so much more expensive than it did since the last Christmas we had together, which was 2019. Can you believe it? Twenty In another decade. That was the last time we were all able to get together safely. And this may not be the end. Uh, the Bank of Canada, you know, indicating that they they do want to watch and see what's going to happen now in the, in the, in the economy. But the fact is, is their mandate is to keep uh, inflation at around 2%. And we are a long, long way from there. And if you, like I said, if you strip out gasoline prices, the higher interest rates haven't done anything except for bring housing prices down. That's the only thing they've really done that we can say tangibly, yes, in the market, home prices are lower. Anybody's neighborhood, you can go on all those different sites now because you can get all the data of how much homes have sold for. Prices are down. Prices are down in my neighborhood. They're down in my parents' neighborhood. They're down in my brother's neighborhood because these are neighborhoods we watch, right? We like to know the value of our home in the neighborhoods that we're familiar with. And those prices are definitely down. And that's because when you go to get a mortgage, they can only offer you as much as your salary allows. And if money is more expensive, they can they have to offer you less. So you have less money to bid. And this really speaks to first-time home buyers who have to rely solely, usually all of their money comes from uh, a bank loan, from a mortgage, right? Uh, if you're selling your home and moving into a bigger home or selling your home and downsizing, you got a lot of equity in your home. You don't have to 
you know, really go to the bank and ask for a huge mortgage. It's those first-time home buyers that are usually the ones at the bank that are asking for those really big mortgages to get into their first real estate property. So we will be talking about the interest rate uh, announcement that happened this week from the Bank of Canada, what the Bank of Canada governor had to say, what his concerns are going forward, and what this means for 2023, because every indication is we're heading into recession. And so we've got the higher cost of living, we've got higher cost of borrowing, and then we're at threat of losing our jobs and having the economy slow down. So how can we prepare ourselves as we move into 2023? I'm going to be speaking to an accredited financial counselor about how at this time, in this moment in time, we can be a little bit responsible, a little bit more responsible than we often have been during the holidays to make sure we don't get those big credit card bills in January, that we still have the most amazing holidays, the best Christmas, the best New Year's, the best Hanukkah, the best Kwanzaa, the best holidays, period, without spending all that money? What are some of the tricks that we can use to just get it all done without going into debt? Survey after survey shows that most of us are just excited to get together. So let's do that. Let's just get together and have those conversations that maybe we were too scared to have three years ago. But now with everything that's happening, it's really easy to say, you know what, this year, let's cut it back, guys. Let's make it all about the kids. Let's just buy one gift. Let's do Secret Santa. Let's do potluck. All of these things are going to help save you money. We are also going to talk about the food report, which is out, uh, that talks about what we can expect for 2023. And that report is showing that we can expect the average Canadian family of four to spend $16,000 on food alone next year. That's a 7% increase from 2022. So buckle up for higher prices and buckle up for not being able to avoid paying those because we got to go to the grocery store. That's the one place we cannot avoid, right? We have to eat. We can say, don't go on a holiday. Don't buy a new couch. Don't renovate. Don't buy a new car. You can't tell somebody, don't feed your family. You have to feed your family. And then what is going to happen if there is a recession in 2023? What is that going to mean for Canadians, for our pocketbooks, for our debt? We are now saddled with some of the highest consumer debt ever. A new report by Equifax this week shows that. More and more of us are turning to our credit cards to pay our everyday bills. And so what is the long-term consequence of that when you are relying on some of the highest interest debt to pay your everyday bills, to buy groceries, to buy stuff for your kids, uh, to just make ends meet? Uh, what will that mean? You know, in the short term, it might not feel so bad because you put it on the credit card, you get what you need, you come home, you use it. But then when you can't afford to pay that bill, it balloons. The interest rate continues to add to it. Now, the Bank of Canada announcement does not impact credit card interest rates or fixed fixed mortgage rates. But if more money is coming off any loan that you've taken out of your line of credit, or if you have a variable rate mortgage, if more money is going towards your mortgage payments, then you struggle more to make those higher interest payments like the mortgage, uh, like the credit card rather, that you've taken money out on so that you can make ends meet. We'll be talking about all of that. And the other thing we'll be talking about later in the show is how 90%, yes, nine out of 10 of us feel stuck in our job, stuck in our job. And this is new, uh, new research that's come out from Ceridian. Uh, we have the head of HR talking about what that survey really means to how we feel about our jobs right now. 90%. I couldn't believe that number. We feel that we 
want to have a career change. We want to make more money. We want to live somewhere else. We want to have different working conditions. So we'll be breaking down all of that and how we can, if we are feeling stuck, the she's giving us some tools as to how we can start to understand how marketable our skills are, what kind of jobs are out there for us, what kind of work we could be doing if we weren't doing the job we were doing that we feel stuck in and how to get out there. You know, if you've been in your job five, six, seven years, you've got to brush up your resume. You got to get, you know, interview ready. That in and of itself can be really tough, right? Like figuring out what do I wear to this interview? What do I say? What are the questions they're going to ask me? How can I say it so that it sounds intelligent, but also sounds like I want this job? You know, that famous question. So tell us some of your weaknesses. How do you answer that kind of question, right? So these are all the things that that we have to get ready for if, uh, if we are feeling stuck and we want to make a change. So brushing up that resume, getting ready for that interview, networking, reaching out to people that you think can help you in your career. So it's so important when you're first starting out in your career to build that network. It's important to reach out to mentors and to people who might be able to help you sort of guide you in your career. But I think the most important network you build is the one you build yourself and the one you build with your peers. And that often means people around the same age, so that they move through their career as you move through your career. So they're going and doing things at different companies and different industries, and you're not out of step with them. Like you can ask them questions candidly about what they're doing to get that higher salary, what they're doing to get that promotion, because it reflects the reality of now. And you can relate You can relate to them because they're, they might be the same age. They might be in the same career. It's really great to have a mentor that is older that can guide you. But I think it's even more important to have a network of friends and colleagues around you that understand the position that you are in. Because a lot of us are making decisions that are not just about about salary and money and job, but how does this affect my family? How does this impact my uh, my work-life balance? And if you are asking those questions of people who are in similar situations than you, they're going to give you advice that actually is going to be practical. So that's something to take away from, you know, if you're feeling stuck in your job, that's how you can get some of that, um, some, some, you can start to move towards feeling a little unstuck, maybe finding a job that's really going to suit you. All of those stories coming up today on For What It's Worth. Uh, really looking forward to it. When we come back, we're going to have all the tips that you need to get through this holiday season. I'm Ruby Ahmad Huck. This is For What It's Worth. From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, you're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Huck. In life are free, but you can give them to the birds and bees. I want money. That's what I want. No matter who you talk to, the number one topic of conversation is can you believe how much that costs? I can't believe how much I paid for this compared to what I paid for it last year. We're getting sticker shock everywhere we go, and there's no relief. No relief, no relief at the grocery store, no relief at the gas station, no relief when you go to a restaurant. And now that we are into the holiday season, we're buying a lot of the stuff that we buy sort of cyclically at this time. And we're thinking, wow, I remember last year when this same cheese platter that I ordered from this same store was about 30% less, or this same hoodie that I buy for my niece every year 
is now six, seven bucks more. So we're getting these, these reminders in our everyday life of how much more life is costing. Those are two sort of frivolous examples, but I think it does still speak to what's happening right now when it comes to um, our experience, when it comes to spending our money. And we have a lot of other things going on that is making money more expensive. To talk about this and everything that's happened this week, I'm really pleased to welcome our next guest, Jessica Morehouse. She's an accredited financial counselor, owner and CEO of the More Money Media Incorporation and host of the More Money Podcast. Hi, Jessica. Welcome to the program. Hello. Thanks for having me. Jessica, I wanted to start by asking you your reaction to the Bank of Canada raising its uh, its its rate by 50 basis points, seventh mm. interest rate hike in a row. Uh, you know, as an accredited financial counselor, what what reaction did you have? Well, I'd say as as a counselor, I am uh, worried for a lot of people who got into the market in the last year, like a lot of people did, myself included, and got a variable rate mortgage and now are looking at their payments or what they owe and are concerned about how am I going to make this work in my budget? As someone personally who also has a variable rate mortgage, I'm like, hmm, if I could go back in time, would I have changed some things? Maybe. So it's, tell me a little bit about that. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, tell me a little bit about that. What, what made you at the time choose variable? Mm. What was what was the sort of thinking behind that? Yeah, you know what? I was actually thinking about this today, and I'm like, huh. In retrospect, part of it was because I owned a home for five years prior, and we got a fixed rate, and we had such low interest rates. I really kicked myself for getting that fixed rate because I know we could have paid off our mortgage so much quicker, saved quite a bit of money on interest had we gone with the variable rate. And so this time, even though I knew there was a likelihood that interest rates were going to go up, um, I did do some calculations with our, uh, you know, mortgage broker at the time, and. You know, I, I still thought that over the long term of our new five-year term that we could still come out ahead. We'll have to see what happens. We're, we're down one year in our terms. We'll see what happens uh, over the course of the next four years because, you know, interest rates, they're expected to go up a little bit more in the uh, new year, maybe by 25 basis points is what kind of all the experts are saying. And then it's going to hold steady for a bit and then go down. Again, this is all speculation. We'll have to see what actually happens. Um, so I'm, I'm hopeful that that's what's going to happen. And then maybe in the end, it'll kind of work out. But uh, I will say in, in my day-to-day -day spending, my, my budget, it is very expensive. Our, our mortgage has basically doubled. Um, and we're in a you know, good kind of privileged position in that uh, be, me and my husband are both self-employed. So if we need to make more money, we can hustle and try to find some work here and there and do what we need to do. But for lots of people who are on a more fixed income in that they've got their salary, you can't really always go to the boss and be like, well, things are more expensive. Can, I buy, can, can you boost me up a bit? Or where's that bonus? It's not as easy. Believe me, I've never actually been in a position in, in any of the times where I was an employee that I got more income. Like I was always pretty much stuck because they always just have their excuses about the budget or this and that. Um, so it's a difficult situation for most people and a lot of people too, they bought, I mean, we bought at the peak, a lot of people bought at the peak. And so it was, it's, you bought a, a lot of house or more house for a lot of money. And now I think a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, I don't know how we're going to make this work. We thought things were going to go in a different direction. And now we're just trying to pay our bills. There's nothing extra. You know, we hear all the time experts on the radio, oh, just cut back, just cut back. There's nothing left to cut back. And that's where I think, uh, you know, a lot of people are, are having a big, big struggle. 
I'm so glad that you're sharing this story, Jessica, because I think a lot of people feel like they made a bad financial decision because they didn't understand what they were getting into. But mm. you, being an accredited financial counselor, being someone who talks about money as as their mm -hmm. job, still, you know, didn't, uh, you know, at that time made a decision that later now you're saying, like you're saying your mortgage has doubled. So mm -hmm. not that it's going to make it financially easier for any individual listening that's in the same boat but definitely helps people understand that there's so many people that got caught in the last Absolutely. year. And it's like, I am payments. kind of, yeah. And I'm lucky. I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones in that I did understand the risks, like, because I do have this background, I knew what the upside and the downside was going to be. So I, that's why I'm probably not freaking out as much as most people. I knew what I was getting myself into kicking myself, maybe a little bit, but I knew this could happen for most people. And I've talked to a lot of people over the past year about this they weren't fully aware of what the consequences could be. They didn't realize that their payments would increase this much. And, you know, part of that could be, they just didn't work with the right professional or they just, they weren't informed as they should have been, which is a shame and, and, and not fair. Um, but so, so that's what, you know, I'm, I'm paying extra money and more money just like everybody else, but I did know what I was getting myself into. Most Canadians, I don't think did. And they're really, really having a rough time. So what do you tell your clients who are worried whether they got into a mortgage or not at the peak, uh, mm -hmm. just at the cost of living going up so rapidly and the cost of borrowing going up so rapidly? How are you advising them outside of the whole, mm -hmm. you know, don't go to restaurants as much and don't travel? Yeah. Uh, one thing, because I'm getting a, a lot of should I switch to a fixed rate and that decision, especially right now where it's like, listen, rates may go up a little bit more, but then why would you lock in then, you know, kind of make maybe a, another bad decision of locking in at like the highest rate right now. So for me, I'm riding this wave and I'm just going to see where it goes and likely it's going to pause and then start to go down. So if you're in a variable rate, maybe it makes sense to see it through. Um, I think a lot of the um, you know, people wanting to go to a fixed rate, they're just, they're, it's based out of fear, um, because they're afraid, well, it might just go up forever. You know, just like when people panic about their investment portfolio, it might go down forever. It's like, it's not going to go down forever. Like look at, you know, the history of the stock market, it's never gone down forever. It eventually goes back up. Um, but a lot of our financial decisions get, you know, they get ruled by our emotions, our fear, our anxieties. Um, and so that's kind of the hardest part. I think that uh, people need to really recognize when mm -hmm. they're trying to figure out what can I do you need to come at a place where you, you leave emotion at the door, which is very difficult to do, but it's it's possible, especially if you do mm -hmm. a little bit more research about behavioral economics and just how that really does um, make us make a lot of bad decisions that we know in retrospect, I shouldn't have done that and I did it anyway. Um, but in terms of what you can actionably do, I mean, ultimately, unfortunately, that the advice is usually the same. You got to cut back. You got to earn more in order to make up that difference. And like I said, it could be difficult to get more money out of your current job. But, uh, you know, that is kind of a, maybe an opportunity where it's about looking for another job that pays more. Maybe you've been stuck at a job in a certain income level for a while. This could be that motivator. Um, that's usually when I left jobs it's like, OK, I'm not making any more money and I'm working just as hard. So maybe I'll go somewhere else. And usually 
usually I've gotten a significant pay bump every time I've done that. Um, it's sometimes uh, just finding the courage, right? Just to make that change. Yeah. We are going to take a break, uh, Jessica. And when we come back, I'd want to pick this conversation up again. And I also want to hear from you about what we can be doing right now. It's an expensive time of year. What are things we can do proactively so we don't get that typical January financial hangover. This is For What It's Worth. I'm Rubina Ahmed Hawk. Take these savings tips straight to the bank. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rubina Ahmed Hawk. When we think the holidays, we think a lot of spending. Usually Canadians spend more than $1,500 for an average family of four on Christmas gifts, on hosting, on other things that just travel, other things that just happen during the holidays. So how can we cut back on some of those uh, costs, especially this year with inflation high, with cost of living high, and then this fear of recession? I want to welcome back our guest, Jessica Morehouse. She's a money expert and accredited financial counselor and uh, the owner and CEO of More Money Media. And she's also the host of the More Money podcast. Jessica, welcome back. I wanted to start by asking you, um, you know, what are some things that people can, as soon as they finish this, listening to this interview, they can put into practice of how they can be more mindful about their holiday shopping this year so they don't go mm -hmm. over budget? Well, I'd say like the first thing is to, and this is what I've done for years and years and years, and it takes two seconds. You can do it on your phone, or your computer, open up a little spreadsheet, literally put down every line item that you have bought already. Cause I know a lot of us get started very early and expect to buy. A lot of people don't, they just, they start tabulating how much they spent and, and where that money went after the fact in January. And that's where that January financial hangover comes in. And there's nothing you can do about it. You can't return those gifts. They're already bought and they were given. And so if you can make that little budget, that list, that will also, and also write down all the things that you think that you're going to buy. You can then be like, you know what? I actually don't need to get that. Or I don't need to be buy a present for so-and-so. Like I, you know, maybe it's more just taking them out for lunch or send them a Christmas card. So writing things down is the key. One thing that I um, am actually doing this year that I'm like, oh no, why I've never really thought about this, but I am uh, kind of a serial points hoarder, whether whatever, you know, reward system, PC optimum, uh, credit card points, whatever. I just forget to use them, which I guess isn't a, a bad thing. But this year I'm like, you know what, I'm going to start using some of those because a lot of them do partner with lots of different companies. You can buy your gifts if you have some points on hand. And I know lots of us are probably guilty of doing that uh, of, oh, I'll save them for a trip. And you're not going on that trip. You know what I mean? <laughs> You're not going to go. So, you know, maybe it's it's about seeing what you you already have in terms of some kind of other currency to, uh, you know, buy some of the things that you need to buy and saving that cash. Do you think this year with the threat of recession and all the other things that we've been talking about is, uh, you know, a good year to have that conversation about, hey, let's just not spend as much this year? Because sometimes that can be awkward because people want to have a fantastic holiday. Yeah. They want to have a fantastic Christmas. Some people just are financially more able to spend. And so telling them to spend less, it almost feels like you're offending them. But do you think this is the year maybe that that conversation can be more easily had? I think so. I think, yeah, because a lot more people are talking about it. I'm having it a lot, uh, having those conversations a lot more in my own personal circles too. And so, I mean, for me, we've been having, especially me and my immediate family, we've been having these conversations for quite a while. It's all sparked, I'd say like maybe five or maybe it was six years ago when I quit my corporate job, my dad got laid off, my younger sister um, finished a contract job. And so it was unemployed. There's three people in my family that were basically unemployed. 
And we had to have a real conversation because I'm like, listen, me buying a flight back home to visit, that's expensive. I don't think I can actually afford presents this year. And so it was really difficult for me to say that because, you know, we all have pride and, um, but it actually opened up a really important conversation that we realized, you know what, we don't actually need to get as many gifts or spend as much money because we don't really, that doesn't really make the holiday. We have fun just spending time together, having some food, playing some board games. So I think having those really important conversations with your family, with your partner, with your friends. And this is kind of a great opportunity to do it because everyone's talking about it. Everyone's afraid of a recession in the new year. So why not? It's, it, it always takes the first person though. So you're probably going to have to be that person. But what I found nine times out of 10 is if you bring up that topic, usually the other person was like, oh, I'm so glad that you brought that up. because I was so uncomfortable. I didn't want to bring it up either. Everyone is thinking the same thing. Everyone is doing the same thing. You just need to maybe be the brave one to bring it up. You know, a lot has been made about uh, a generation of people, the generation that you fall into, millennials, mm -hmm. uh, that have never experienced down markets. They've never experienced higher interest rates, and they've never really experienced a recession. I mean, we had one in 2008, 2009, but it was very short and sharp, and we seemed to get back on track pretty quickly. Just from your own point of view, how has this time been? Have you learned something about your money that maybe you just didn't understand before because of the kind of market we're in right now? Mm, yeah. So yeah, I'd say the biggest difference um, compared to 2008, 2009 is the, the interest rates and inflation being high. I've personally never experienced that. I have experienced like that market downturn and uh, the recession. It's, I know it only lasted a few, it, it felt like it lasted a decade. Like it felt like it lasted forever because it probably because of the ripple effect of what it had uh, its effect on, you know, um, uh, employment and, and uh, incomes and stuff like that. This time is different um, because for, for many of us young people, because we've never experienced this, we've heard our parents talk about the 80s at nauseum, but um, this is the first time that we are really feeling it. And for me, yes, it sucks. However, it is a great learning lesson because when you experience something, it really does get ingrained in your brain and it will help you, I think, better understand uh, what has happened over history. It may make you be like, okay, now it's not as annoying hearing uncle so-and-so talk about the 80s and those high interest rates. I get it uh, now. And I may put in some things into perspective a little bit more that were hard for you to really grapple with. And also too, as, as someone now who's in their thirties, um, it makes me recognize that life is long and uh, same with the ups and downs in the economy and the stock market. And so thinking so short term, like we kind of have in the past couple of years that, oh my gosh, crypto is the way to go. And the stock market is going to go up forever. And then, you know, things turned uh, a different direction. I think that's healthy for everybody to actually experience because it was such an unrealistic kind of point in time that we were living in. We need to experience the downs and the ups so we can be better and more realistic and pragmatic with our money. Uh, there's been so many high profile examples of things that we should not be investing in that have really, uh, you know, people have lost a lot of money on. Jessica, really mm -hmm. quickly, if anybody wants to find you, how what's the best way to get in touch? You can find me at jessicamorehouse.com or follow my podcast, The More Money Podcast. Jessica, thank you so much uh, for joining us today on For What It's Worth to talk about everything that's happening right now and how we can really put some of these things into practice as we're out there doing our holiday shopping. I wish you the best and happy holidays. Happy holidays too. Thanks for having me.
That's Jessica Morehouse. She's an accredited financial counselor, owner and CEO of the More Money Media Incorporation and host of the More Money Podcast. When we come back, we're going to be talking about a new survey that says nine out of 10 Canadian workers feel stuck in their job. So what can we do to get unstuck? I'm Rabina Ahmed Hawk, and this is For What It's Worth. From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, you're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Hawk. This is something that so many of us have been experiencing during the pandemic, this feeling that, is this job really the one that I want to be in? Uh, for the first time ever, many of us were sent home, worked from home, and started to really let the idea of what our job meant to us marinate for a while. We weren't around our colleagues anymore. We were closest to the people that probably love us the most, right? Our spouses, our children, our mom and dad, people who really care about us. And for the first time, they had an insight into what our job was, what our career was. I know from my own perspective in my own life, my husband changed jobs halfway through the pandemic. And the first thing I recognized was that he's always on the phone. And I never realized that his job was just meeting after meeting after meeting. And I started thinking, I feel like you're this creative person that's kind of wasting your time always just in meetings. And I think that got his wheels turning. And eventually that led to him leaving the job he had and being in a job now where he's much more creative and I think much more happy. I mean, I really, you know, I'd have to talk to him and interview him, but I, he looks much more happier to me. And a new survey by Ceridian finds that a lot of Canadians right now are feeling stuck in their job. 90% of us, that's basically all of us are saying, you know what? I feel stuck in my job and I don't like what I'm doing. And many of us don't have the tools to really navigate how to change our situation. To talk about the results of this survey and really get some tips on how we can change if we do feel stuck in our job, we are joined by the head of HR at Ceridian, Susan Toyoma. Susan, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Susan, your survey showed a lot about how Canadian workers are feeling about their job. Can you tell us uh, some things that the survey revealed that you found really surprising? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, so the survey we did, we, we looked at external companies. Uh, we did this globally. I think there were about 8,000, 9,000 uh, employees at external companies around the globe. Um, and we also uh, looked at clearly Canadian uh, Canadian companies and Canadian and the Canadian workforce. So um, interestingly, I think around the world, I think employees are feeling pretty much the same thing. And there's a, there are about three things which I thought were quite interesting. And I think people probably would resonate with. One first is, is burnout, right? Um, last year, I think 84% of the Canadian workforce said they felt some level of burnout. It is increasing. It's about 88% this year. So burnout is definitely on the rise. And we can talk a little bit about, about that. Um, to your point about flexibility, um, there is absolutely an increased desire among employees when it comes to flexibility. And that isn't simply just flexibility in the workplace. That isn't just where I work, when I work, how I work, but absolutely a growing, growing number of people are saying, I want more flexibility in how I grow my career. You know, is my career just vertically up a ladder? Do I want to have new opportunities? Do I want to change the, the, the industry that I am? Do I want to, you know, take stretch assignments? There's absolutely this need for this focus on growth and careers and a really unique 
um, a unique perspective on how we build careers. And the third thing, which I think is also absolutely important is around diversity and leadership. Um, one of the statistics in the survey showed that there are fewer and fewer uh, employees who actually want to take on leadership. And if you look at the fact that we don't have enough diverse representation in leadership, um, that is also a key, key challenge. Diverse representation and leadership influences your career aspirations. And within uh, the Canadian workforce, uh, we found that 42% of Canadians who responded said that they strongly agree that a lack of diversity at, at an organization would stop them from pursuing a leadership role. And that is, that's absolutely tragic, just tragic. Yeah, and there's been so much focus on really lifting up voices uh, that we have not been able to hear before. Uh, but there, it's a process. It's going to take to absolutely some time. Before the pandemic even started, the WHO had declared burnout an occupational phenomena. That's what they had called it. So something that was already on the minds of uh, not just workers, but managers, uh, CEOs, uh, you know, owners of companies, knowing that workers are experiencing burnout at a higher rate. And that's only increased. What's contributing to burnout right now? Because for many of us, the work from home, although it seems so idealistic, um, actually, you know, ended up being a lot more work, a lot more stress than we had anticipated. Yeah, it's a it's a really interesting point. Um, I think there are external factors and internal. I mean, we all know now, we all hear every day about, you know, record high inflation, how much it costs when you go to the supermarket. We look at um, you know, market instability, all the, the conversations around, uh, around, you know, tech companies. And there always will be and always, you know, and always have been, um, you know, increased demands on the workforce. Uh, Interestingly, you know, to your point, before the pandemic, people were talking about this. I think the fact that we've gone through this I think companies and definitely human resources teams and leadership are saying, okay, we understand that there is a, a greater need to focus on wellness, greater need to focus on well-being. We understand there are some great things about the fact that that a certain portion of employees don't have to uh, don't have to commute to the office. But there are also exactly what you said, Ravina. There are also stresses and strains when you're actually working from home. There are, you know, what do you do about uh, about childcare? How do you how do you manage your work life balance? Sometimes it feels to us like we're working twenty four seven because we don't have those breaks that we might have had in the office. So it's absolutely something that um, I think, in certain good ways, is starting to uh, focus all organizations on the fact that we need more uh, room and space for mental health days, we need a greater focus on flexibility because of the fact that we're all starting to feel this, this increased level of burnout. You mentioned uh, earlier about uh, representation at work and that many, especially those who come from uh, diverse groups, uh, marginalized groups don't see themselves uh, represented in manage management roles, um, in higher uh, in roles of uh, that 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 have more power, so that they yeah. see themselves sort of rising to that level as well. What are the roadblocks that exist right now for minority groups uh, that that you're seeing? Yeah. So um, so again, the pulse of talent. Um, just you know, talk data for a second. Forty-two percent of Canadian respondents said, "Hey." You know, the lack of diversity will will stop me from pursuing this leadership role of the organization. It's interesting when we look at global data, uh, the number actually goes up. So if you identify as uh, as an underrepresented minority, that's 60 percent say, you know what, I'm not going to take on that leadership role for LGBTQ. Um, that's probably the same. It's actually about 60 percent per, per vote. Um, I think uh, there is it is always a journey, clearly. 
Um, I think there are certain things that we need to make sure that we do. One, we always start with awareness. You have to make sure that your leadership teams and your people managers understand the diversity platform, understand that, that an increase in diversity in leadership actually leads to more creativity in a company, you know, more revenue in a company, more creativity in a company, all that really good stuff. I would start by saying, you know, we absolutely need to make sure we've got uh, insight uh, from employees around their advancement opportunities. So, you know, what do you see that that needs to be done? Where are you seeing the blockages? Because it's different in every single company. Absolutely. You don't need to make sure that that you hear from employees on what those blockages are. And then you've got to make sure we have a program within Ceridian which is really looking at underrepresented groups and actually giving them stretch assignments, making sure they've got executive sponsorships. It's, it's about making sure you're shining a light on absolute talent everywhere in the organization and then being intentional. That's the other piece of this. Absolutely intentional in succession planning to ensure that we both maintain and increase that diversity in leadership going forward. Because if you can't, I mean, I know people say this all the time, but if you can't see it, you can't necessarily believe it. And we've got to make sure that we're doing that. If a, a worker is listening right now, they fall into that 90% group feeling stuck in their job. What's the best advice you can give to them to, to start to look at um, uh, some opportunities that may exist for them that they haven't thought about before? Yeah. So if you're in your current company and you're feeling like, as you said, you know, 80, 85, 86, 89% feel like that, that they are stuck in their role. Uh, number one, absolutely speak to your manager talk to your manager about what you're looking for talk to your manager about what the career path may be those conversations between the manager and employees you know interestingly in the past i know we always had oh you must do your performance review you must have conversations with your employees throughout the year um and that was done dare i say a bit of a a, a sort of a check in the box yep done it okay thank you it is even more imperative now to ensure that managers are having conversations with their employees and employees are saying to their managers in as transparent way as they can, this is what I really want to do in the organization. It also is on both leadership and the human resources team to make sure that we understand that, make sure that we are, we are giving the ability for internal mobility throughout the organization. In the past, there has been a bit of a stigma dare i say around internal mobility Ooh, i don't want you to move uh, you know you need to stay here i can't let this person go i would rather lose a person to a different or a different function in the organization as opposed to losing them from the organization and so leadership in conjunction with with the facilitation from human resources need to start to get that sort of almost that sort of internal mobility DNA really working throughout the system, making sure there are short-term opportunities, stretch opportunities, project opportunities for employees to make sure that they can sort of, you know, shake it up a little bit and get to do some new kind of cool things as opposed to what they've been doing, you know, th throughout their career. Susan, thank you so much uh, for bringing us uh, this story, uh, for getting really drilling down into the, the results of this survey. Really surprising to hear how many workers right now are just feeling like they need a change. They need, some, they need something uh, different in their careers and uh, getting some tips on how to do that is, is really helpful. So thank you very much. Oh, of course. Thank you so much. 
That is Susan uh, Toyoma. She is the head of HR at Ceridian. And the uh, the survey that we've been talking about is the 2023 Pulse of Talent. And it's called the Rise of the Flexible Career Experience, which is really flexibility has been the buzzword throughout the pandemic because all of us have had to really change the way we think about work in order to get our job done considering the extraordinary times that we've just been through. And many of us want to hang on to some of those things so that we can continue to have the working conditions that for, for decades, in some cases, we have been fighting for. That brings us to the end of our program for what it's worth. And it's been so eye-opening, especially listening to Susan from Ceridian talking about how 90% of Canadian workers feel stuck in their job. Many of us just want to change. We just want to do something different. We want to make more money. We want different working conditions. And here's my tip to anyone that is looking to make more money. The best way to get a raise is not to ask your current boss. It's to actually look for a new job. There is uh, data that shows that when we change jobs, we usually get about a 17% bump in pay because you're in a position where you can negotiate a new salary, negotiate better working conditions. So if you are out there looking for a new job right now, even the same job that you do in your current position, make sure that you ask for that bump in pay because this is the best time that you're going to get more money. Once you're in the job, getting a raise, yes, it happens, but not at that same rate. Thank you so much for listening today. Thank you to Dave Hunter, our technical producer. I'm Rubina Ahmad-Hawk, and this is For What It's Worth.